Guys, are you glad to be here? Tell someone quickly next to you, you're glad to be here. Do it again. Thank you. Matthew chapter 6. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew, Matthew. Yes. So this is uh, still the Beatitudes, chapter 5, 6, 7 of Matthew. It's uh, what uh, scholars call the Sermon on the Mount, which was really not a mountain. It was just like a little hillside. And Jesus went and sat down. He had a great view of the people that were following him. A massive crowds followed Jesus. And he spoke these words against the backdrop of civil society and where people were at the time. And shockingly, it is so relevant today, thousands of years later, against ours. So I want to just frame the context in which I would like for us to hear Matthew chapter 6 this morning. Okay? So the post-Christian world which we live in, as we heard some years ago when we get, got into uh, Mike Breen's stuff on deconstructing the ecclesiology of the church and putting the mandate of the gospel back into the hearts and hands of every believer because God changed from giving us a set of rules carved into stone and then we all failed, so he gave us more rules and we all failed, gave us more rules and we ended up with hundreds and hundreds of rules, none of which we could successfully keep He promised through the prophets hundreds of years before the coming of the Messiah that he will again choose for himself a people and those people will no longer from the outside in try to adhere to a bunch of rules but he will take the word and he will write it on their hearts and put it in their mouths. That's us! Somebody look glad. If you don't look glad, I'm totally going to point you out. Jokes. And so there's this, there's, there's this reality that, that we live in an, in an age where all that God wants to express to the world that we live in is within us. Because the kingdom is within us, right? That's why we don't have to go up there, we don't have to go there, we don't have to go there, there. Wherever we go, we take really the kingdom with us. Or we don't. Based on our, you know, our understanding and conviction, I guess, of this thing. And so in this post-Christian world that we live in, we've experienced uh, social um, earthquakes and and upheaval. And if if you don't believe me, honestly, I can just name a few things that make it very stark and clear. The the issue of sexuality, identity, uh, the abortion issues, immigration policy, and on and on and on. We see that there is a a failure of a world system. Even economic collapses all around the world and, and, and so we see there is this, there's this futility to put any confidence and trust in anything that this world has to offer, are the words of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? Are you guys with me? I take authority over every spirit now that would want to thwart or pervert this word, and I bind it in Jesus' name. There are times when the word of God will confront and break through the soul and the marrow to get to the, to, to get to the inner parts of man's heart. And so I believe that Matthew 6 cannot just be read as another consumeristic tract in which we are looking for pointers or a formulaic approach to being a better person. It cannot be that. It has to be seen against the backdrop of where we live and the mandate of Jesus Christ. And when we ask God for the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit, which is a wonderful thing to experience and to encounter, there's nothing like it in this world. Nothing. When the Spirit of of the living God who created the stars and the sky and the universe and all its glory and beauty comes and dwells with us and, 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 like, and comes upon us and fills us and stirs us it changes us and we cannot be left the same. But as with Matthew 6 and the entire word of God, it is against the backdrop of why the Holy Spirit comes and is given to us. The Holy Spirit is given to us in Acts chapter 2 when Jesus said to his disciples, guys, don't go anywhere. Don't make any church plans. Don't plant any churches. Wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. Not that I can even teach you deeper character. That was maybe a little part of it. But the reality of the coming of the Holy Spirit has not changed from then until now. When the Holy Spirit comes upon us, and this should be our thinking process when we desire and cry out, Holy Spirit, come, is so that it will empower us for the mission. It is 
to open our eyes to be able to see beyond, deeper than the world stimulates us. The statistics are staggering at how many images of advertising and promotion are are, are in our faces every day. And most of us wake up and the first thing we do in the morning is we turn to our phone. And so screens have completely consumed our lives. And in a post-Christian reality, this is where we live, guys. I promise you, it's where we live. We live in a world where there is, there is no reference points to godly, to godly, there's no godly reference points like there might be in the south of America where there are communities and strong, it's things like that. No, there's no, there's no so, the social scene in Canada is like this. And what is a little bit elevated is worked hard at by government to, to bring it this, like this. Everybody must be like this. It's a socialistic society. And against that backdrop of where the millennial church and the, and the, and the post-Christian mind has deconstructed Christianity to a place where it is literally just something that might work for me, that might make me better, that might, might heal me, that might make me stronger, and we've removed the mission from the mandate of the gospel. We've removed the king from the kingdom, and we want a kingdom. We absolutely do. And I'm not just preaching this to a millennial world. I'm preaching, it doesn't matter how old you are. You cannot stop journeying with the purposes of God. And you have a responsibility, whether you have children or not, to perpetuate and to be those who keep hope alive for the next generation. Last week we were at this conference and Bill Johnson spoke a word that shook me to the very depth of my core. He spoke about Hezekiah and Manasseh. He's two kings. I'm going to tell you briefly what he said. And I've read this so many times. It has intrigued me that Hezekiah came to the end of the life and the prophet came to him and said, Hezekiah, it's done. You're dead. Goodbye. Make peace. Hand your stuff out. Your life is over. And he said, no! Please, God, give me more time. Hezekiah tore down all the idols in Israel. He turned Judah's heart back to God and they became a God-worshipping nation again. He brought incredible reform in Israel among the people of God because he tore down idols and fixed people's eyes on God again. He did tremendous things. The end of his life, when the prophet said it's over and he cried out to God, God said, I'll give you another 15 years. In those 15 years, he had a son. And please, stretch your imagination with me for a second. Joshua said at the end of his life, he said, as for me and my generation, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my generation, we will serve the Lord. That sounds like amazing words, and they are amazing words. But David said, for my children's children, for the generations to come. That's why God is not restoring the tabernacle of Joshua or the mandate of Joshua. He's restoring the tabernacle of David because it's a perpetual reality that the kingdom is, the, that is, the kingdom is a generational reality. Manasseh followed Hezekiah, the greatest king other than David, of God's people, and became the worst king ever to live on the planet. He even sacrificed his own children to foreign gods. One generation after Hezekiah, his father. Why? One reason only. Hezekiah came to a place where he says, oh well, at least in my day, everything's going to be fine. In other words, I don't really care what happens to my children. I'm paraphrasing here. He never said this. But he continued to go to the temple, and this is the kicker, guys. Listen to this. This is the backdrop of Matthew 5, 6, 7, and the entire scripture for that matter. He went to the the temple and continued his ritual, his glorious days of mission that he engaged in with God as God moved upon him and spoke upon him and filled him and poured out his spirit on him for the purposes of the kingdom to advance, Hezekiah sat back and said, I want all that God has for me, but I no longer want the mission, and I never will bring again a sacrifice of worship and praise and adoration to God. I will not, like David, who says, I will not give God anything that costs me nothing. Hezekiah said, I'm okay. My generation's going to be fine. And in mediocrity, he continued the exact same pattern. Still went to church, still worshipped God or brought his thing, but it was a mundane ritual and it was void of sacrifice. It cost him nothing. The result of that, his children lost the kingdom vision. We can no longer, in this world that we live in, because it's driven, it's pumped by consumerism. (laughs) I need a winter coat, so I went on Amazon. 
No. I went on, uh, what did I do? Kijiji. Typed in Patagonia because I want to be like Chan. Patagonia winter coat. And uh, a couple came up, nothing, nothing, nothing. The next afternoon, I'm lying there flipping through my Instagram. What do you think came up on my Instagram feed? Patagonia sale at Atmosphere. I didn't even know there was a place called Atmosphere. It's a camping outdoor store. Why? Because the world, if you don't know it yet, friends, wake up. This is not conspiracy theory. It's just like, duh. Kath and I talk about the south of France, uh, just dreaming idyllically of maybe one day having a holiday there. And uh, I don't know if she searched it or me, but the next Instagram picture on my world, I follow this one guy who's got world travel sites, it's the south of France. So I'm like, babes, look at this. Do you think this thing can hear us? <laughs> Do you know that Mark Zuckerman has permanently a sticker over the camera of his, of, of, of the camera of his, of his computer? Do you know that there are people that emphatically believe that people watch you while you're watching your screen? Do you know that the world is profiling you? Do you know that there's a Desmond that is a, 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 how do I say it? Like there's a skeleton of Desmond. There's an image of Desmond somewhere in the Silicon Valley, in a warehouse, in a big server. I'm probably getting the names wrong. That has created a profile for Desmond based on what he searches, what he looks at. So much so that now they know exactly when you're hungry. They know exactly when you need a coffee. They know exactly how many sugars you have in your coffee. They know what you buy. And I'm talking about they as if we're all going to pack our bags and sit on the church's roof and wait for Jesus to come back. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we are being profiled in a consumeristic society. We are being profiled. And in the face of that reality, Jesus speaks these words. Please believe me, it's true. Just one more statistic. You know that in Scandinavia now, 56% of the housing industry are bachelor apartments. You know that in South Korea, 60% of the people die alone. Why am I screaming? It just makes me so excited. <laughs> Do you know what Jesus said? The lonely must be placed in families. Do you know that 60% of an entire nation die alone? Six out of ten people. So this government has created a social structure to put people alongside people that are dying alone. And Jesus says in Ephesians, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God will be revealed to the nations. What is that reality? We're a family who stick together through thick and thin. We've been chosen. We have a mission. We have a kingdom, but not without a king. We want the Spirit of God, but also not without obedience. In Solomon's temple, he wanted all God's glory. He built the most glorious temple. I shared it a little bit last night. But he built a huge house for himself as well. He wanted God's glory so much, but he also wanted glory for himself. And God's only prerequisite is this. Okay, I love this temple. Thanks for building it. I will dwell in this temple. And when he came into that temple, no one could stand because the presence of God was so thick and tangible. Do you know that it did not last? So the most incredible encounter that you have with the power and the presence of God, so much so that you shake, that you cannot move, that you lie slain in the Spirit of God for hours and hours and hours, if it does not provoke you, and the result of that reality and that encounter with God is that you do not walk in the delight of obedience, friends, that will totally depart. And we will be bamboozled into becoming a consumeristic people within the church, the North American church. How will we be different? How will we be different? Look at the stats in the church and outside the church. This is not a church bashing reality. But if we don't have the proper context to read the Gospels and the Beatitudes against, we are just perpetuating consumerism. Let me read out of this what I can do to be a better person. Let me jot down a couple of points so I can be better. You have better luck going to a diet website and starting to diet. Because this is not how it is. And Jesus said this very clearly. So let's read it. Are you ready? Okay, smile at me, please. Smile, everybody smile. That's why I said it's better to give than to receive. That's why the presence of God comes with a purpose and he said to the disciples, wait, don't go, wait. Because when the Spirit of God came upon them, they saw like no one else saw. If we are just living from screen to screen in our lives and there's never a day or we literally physically cannot live without it, then we are being fed what to see. We are being trained in our vision. 
And we only see then what we want to see. And friends, then your view of God will be affected. And the first thing you will do, you will go back and find your Google theology and you will find someone, some freak out there who will agree with me with what we want to see until we come to the glorious Word of God. So be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, everybody say secret, will reward you. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, but they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. I love in verse 16 that it says, when you fast, not if you fast. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen and your Father who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth, vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where moth and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life or what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the fields grow. They do not labor and spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor will be dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what shall I eat, or what shall I drink, or what shall I wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. What a glorious chapter. Let's go back to secrecy. Giving, prayer, fasting, all of those things are validated um, by its definition that is who we are and not what we do. Colossians 3 verse 22 says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it, not only when their eyes are on you, 
and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Ephesians 6 verse 6 says, Obey them not only to win their favor with their eyes on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Human approval is the primary reason for public acts of the kingdom. And, and again, we live in a world that has sold us a lie that says the approval of other human beings takes precedent, pre, 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 preeminence over the opinions of God. And for me, to break that thing over your life, uh, to do things in secret is a, is a, is a big deal. I, I really do believe that because you find your validity and your identity, which is really the only, only sustainable reality for us as believers in Jesus, followers of Jesus, that we are not just taking from Jesus or engaging the kingdom for that purpose or to find some validity in anything else, but to be followers of Christ, true disciples of Jesus. And you know what the fruits of the Holy Spirit are, right? It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. It's not intensity, religion, tradition, a set of rules and regulations by which we then peg ourselves on a moral scale. And so to, to, to enter into a secret space with God, a secret place, and it's interesting to me that Julia wanted to sing that song uh, here in the secret place, here in the quiet place, is such a kick in the gut of the world that we live in. And it's interesting to me that the four groups that we did, just, we just did Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, which, which I think was incredible. And I think God is preparing us for something. I've said this a hundred times, so maybe it's kind of lost its potency. But I'm aware of the fact that right throughout Scripture, from beginning to the end, God speaks of a remnant. And here I go again. It sounds like a bit of a conspiracy theory thing, but it isn't. It isn't. Now, the, de the deconstruction of church. Everybody is deconstructing everything. That's why you have companies like Uber, like who else, that, that, that defies the, 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 the mandate of a big corporation that have now grown in themselves into that because we live in this post-Christian world where everything is deconstructed. Even the church is deconstructed. And we deconstructed. And uh, I was listening to young guys who planted this church in in uh, Portland, Oregon. They thought, you know, they grew up in the church, but the church had just lost all its... So they thought, what are we going to do? We're going to get some lights. And I laughed at it and because I thought, let's get lights. I mean, why not be cool at the same time? And so we deconstruct. We deconstruct the place where we've deconstructed it so much that there's no truth. There are two primary tanks in our world that we live in today. The truth, the truth tank and the freedom tank. And you can, you, can, you can just... It doesn't take you long to see that that the, the promise of freedom, the lure of freedom, the, the absolute driving desire to be totally free, particularly for the next generation. I want to be financially free. I want to be free in every, every area that I just... Give me freedom. So we can, we can in fact, we can use, we can use Jesus as a, as, a, as, a, as a symbol of freedom, but it's a deconstructed freedom to where we're even deconstructing Jesus. And this is the bottom line, that chapters of the Bible, the gospel... Um, has lost its authority because we want freedom more than anything else. Because we have been duped by the culture. I know this sounds all over the place, so let me just bring it here. Listening to the feedback from the leaders in Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, the number one struggle of the, of the eight weeks that we did was the Sabbath. The Sabbath. Okay? Not everybody. There were a couple of exceptions that loved the Sabbath and were practicing the Sabbath. The Sabbath means that we are developing intentionality, the secret space, the quiet place with God, which is so countercultural to the world because the world says the busier you are, the cooler you are. The busier you are, the more accepted you are. If you're busy, you're doing well. You're living up to it. Jesus said you can be busy, 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 busy and accomplish nothing. The prophets speak about it. It's like putting money in a pocket with a hole in it. When you reach down to get your money, you've worked your butt off, but there's nothing in your pocket because you have no secrets in your closet with God. You cannot make secrets without 
time. Secret place. Still. Still. So, so I want to speak a little bit about, just quickly, about influence. I do believe that the depth of who we are as people, we could speak a lot and we, can be, we could be hyper-intelligent, we could be highly gifted. Some people are just very intelligent and they can do stuff that are mind-blowing. They, they bring a lot of healing and wholeness to the human race. It's a wonderful thing. Then you have others um, who are gifted and talented, like, like Debs. I mean, she cooks. Now she's playing the piano. Did anybody know she could play the piano? We, ne- we never knew. Okay, Lauren did. But... But multi, people that are multi-gifted, nothing is too difficult for them. Uh, and then there are others that are just the, the, the normal. Uh, um, but I want to say this. The influence comes from that quiet place. I'm not talking about just sitting on the couch numbing your brain. I'm talking about developing the rhythms of Sabbath in your life daily. The moments where you stop. The moments where you turn your affection, where you pivot, where you swivel, where you are silent, where you are still before God. The moments where you develop the secrets, where you hear God's word and you obey God's word in the secret place and no one else knows is the moment where you get influence. I heard a story once years ago about a guy in our church that, that would fast every Friday and Saturday if he preached on the Sunday. And the guy who did our tape ministry back in those days, those plastic things with the ribbons inside, for those of you who didn't know, who were born after 19, whenever, they, he came to me one day, uh, not to me, he came to one of the staff guys and said, wow, this guy. And honestly, I say this with all the humility in my heart, he wasn't an awesome preacher. He wasn't an awesome preacher at all. In fact, he, he, he struggled. Sometimes, like, I struggled to communicate something in his heart. But he struggled. But the tapes, we couldn't keep up. We had to buy another duplicating system. Okay, there was thousands of people, but still, we couldn't keep up with those sermons. Only those sermons. Why? So why did Ian from the Mervis sermon sell more than anybody else's sermons? Because he developed a secret place. He developed a place where there was quiet. He, 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 he would sacrifice anything. Even a promise of, he was a member of Devon Country Club, and we would play golf there on Saturday mornings. It was like so fun. But Ian, when he preached on the Sunday, he would not play. He would fast and pray Friday and Saturday. Some would say, oh, that's so legalistic. But the authority, the influence that he carried, because of that creating that space, the secret of Matthew 6, gave him influence. And this is how it works. If the world influences you all the time, you lose influence. If you're influenced by something, you come under its power and therefore you lose influence. The quiet, secret place fills you with influence and then you gain influence over people. I just came up with that. I hope it's true. (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) Ezekiel 33, verse 31 and 32. My people come to you as they usually do. And they sit before you to hear your word. But they do not put them into practice. Oh my gosh. Did you hear the word in the prayer meeting this morning? Did you hear the word that Alice shared last night? The two builders. There are two builders. There are two kingdoms. There are two realities. There are two ways to see. Either you see what the world tells you to see. That you have to look a certain way, act a certain way, behave a certain way. And lose your peculiar promises from God. That you are called out from among to be different. To be salt and light. Or you see what God sees and you see beyond and you lift your eyes to Him who opens your eyes and gives you the ability to see what He's plotting and planning. Friends, that is where we are called to live. That comes from one place and one place only, the secret place. David cried out, hide me in the pavilion of your love, safe from the strife of tongues. Just hide me. Hide me deep inside your heart. So the people come, they keep coming, Ezekiel is a prophet, like they usually do, they sit before you to hear your word, but they do not put it into practice. Their mouths speak of love, but their hearts are greedy and unjust. Indeed, to them you are nothing more than one who sings love songs with a beautiful voice 
and plays an instrument well. For they hear your words, but they have decided not to put them into practice. If you go away here today and there's one thing you've heard is this. God is calling us to a quiet place. If you're so tied to your screen, friends, honestly, like Eric preached last week, if we had to chop off all the physical parts that cause us to stumble, we will be stubs rolling into heaven. So that's not the issue. But I want to I tell you today, turn your phones off. At least one day a week. I promise you no one's going to die. One of the things about the, gospel, about the Sabbath is the acknowledgement that I'm limited and God is on the throne, not me. The fact that we have to look at our phones, have to be, it's just because we feel that we are losing control. And sometimes the fear that we feel in the church is God tearing down a cultural paradigm of Christianity. Oh, Jesus, please! Divorce cannot be the same in the church as it is in the world. Teenage pregnancies cannot be the same in the churches as it is in the world. But the very basic premise where Jesus says, come away with me, my beloved. Come, just you and me. Let's go away. We do not want to do. We cannot do. You don't understand my life. I have so much going on. Drop some stuff. Because you have no influence. You're literally taking the bowl. You're putting it over the light. Instead of taking the light and putting it on the stand. This is my question for the first couple of verses. What secrets do you have with God? So prayer. I don't think it matters much of what our prayer sounds like, but it's crucial to develop an ongoing natural conversational communication with God like a child to a parent. I feel that there are many ways of prayer. Sometimes we just talk to prayer like you guys do. We all do in our cars, in our shower, when we're just walking around. Oh, Lord, I love you. Lord, I ask you to help me. Give me favor here, please, Lord. Give me wisdom here, please. I need wisdom. Lord, give me money. I need to pay this, please. Lord, I want to finish the basement. Lord, I'm saying. And so we develop this conversational prayer, but there's another kind of prayer as well. The prayer where we stand as sons and daughters and representatives of the kingdom of heaven and we declare what we do not yet see in front of our eyes based on what God had promised us. You cannot get that if you haven't been in the secret place. You just can't get it. You can pretend to have it, but you have no influence. No punch, no caliber. And even though your round in the front, your little lead piece might be this size, if the caliber of your round is, is, is big, that little thing can pierce anything. We used to hunt elephants with triple two rifles in Africa. True story. Triple two is the head is this side. It's a .22. It's so small, but the caliber behind it would go straight through the heart. Yeah, not for fun. Just not for fun. And with Christianity, it's the same thing. We have this overdeveloped head with no caliber behind it in the North American church. Not all of us. And so we shift our thinking from saying, Lord, I see this, I see this. And then there's another form of prayer which I really want to speak about now. It's called, it's called imagination, imaginary prayer. Oh, James 5 or 16, the eternal prayer of the righteous man has great power to produce wonderful results. How we pray and what we pray produces the same thing. It releases energy. I'm not talking about weird, weird energy. I'm talking about it releases energy. So there are times where you sit in your devotional life and you pray quietly and you search your heart like David invited God when he was lying on his bed. He says, Lord, I'm lying on my bed. Come and search me. See if there's anything in me, any hidden thing, anything I do not see, any blind spot. Show me, Holy Spirit. It's an internal devotional prayer because we want to engage effectively on mission for no other reason. And then there are other times where we declare, whether we feel it or not, we know what God says. This city is ours. Yet here we are in a small place and 110,000 people are living right on our doorstep. If that does not arrest us, friends, I think we have a disconnect. And so we rise into the promises of God. Although we don't see it here, we declare it, we proclaim it. Who agrees with me on that? 
We don't settle. We don't just say, no, okay, God. Okay, no, God, you're busy, you're busy. No, you're absolutely busy. He absolutely is. But Scripture's full of the fact that we are co-laborers with Christ. And so we proclaim into the spiritual realm. Why? Because we see what the world does not see. Okay, and we can stop there for a second and start to dream. I love dreaming. Eric and I had a breakfast on Friday, and we started to dream. It's like wild stuff, like impossible stuff, like moving Taylor, like the great stuff. Dreaming. We're dreaming. We need $6,000 to move Taylor. <laughs> Whatever. We're dreaming. I'm dreaming that this place is packed. I'm dreaming that the basketball court that Oscar's painting in spring is there and they're bleachers and they're people that we don't know that don't come to this church that sit here and we're serving them coffee and music is playing and they create a space and environment. We dream. We imagine. We engage with our imagination. Engage with that. When we were at, a, at, the, at the worship thing, the one worship collaboration with the, the five churches that are now getting together, we did a, afterwards they did a, a tunnel of love. What's it called? Fire, fireplace, fire tunnel. So we all walked to the fire tunnel. One guy says, stops me. He says, Yaku, on your building, on your land, I see things. I see creative expressions. I see structures going up. I'm like, God, it's impossible because it's a graveyard and no one will ever allow us because they think we, we're playing soccer on the, on the dead people, but there's no one buried there. But if you say that, Lord, I'll take that. It engages my imagination because nothing is impossible for God. And we're called to live in that Reality. Whatever God promises, wherever two or three agree on any one thing, wherever two or three, the Shekinah glory of God is there. It's here with us. The God of the impossible is ours. Why? To do what? To accomplish His purpose. And everything He does is good. Literally everything. So if He strips away our Christian culture and we feel like we're losing control and we sometimes get a bit scared, it's okay. He's good. Did you hear? I will sing of the goodness of God until the last breath. He's good. Nothing can change that. So I prayed for my dad. He had cancer and he died in my arms. But God is still good. He's still the healer. Because there are billions of people still on this planet living. And our eternal destiny far supersedes the trials and tribulations we go through here. In this place. So when you pray, turn on your imagination. And if you say, I can't do that, Yaku, I don't have to do it. I don't know how to do it. Let me give you a tip. When you come in to pray, see in your mind's eye a smiling father who's pleased with you. Who says to you these words, James, I delight to give you the kingdom. Oscar, anything you want, I will give you. Ask me in my name. It's according to my will, it's yours. No, but it's impossible. Exactly. That's where God operates. In the secret place. The realm of the impossible. If we read Matthew 6, 5, 6, 7, and all scripture for that matter, to get for ourselves, to take for ourselves, we are perpetuating the world system. And God says in scripture that the God of this world, which is the devil, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers that they do not see the glorious light of the gospel. The eyes are blinded. How are we ever going to entice them out of that reality if our eyes are blinded. If we are consumerists, that's why we give sacrificially in secret. We bring an obedience, a tenth of what we bring in. It's ancient practice. It's ancient practice. It's not generosity. It's just obedience. Yes, God, I want your presence. Oh, Lord, come, follow me in your presence. It's just for me. All for me, Lord, just fall on me. I'm never going to do what you say. Those days are dead. The church is alive. The light, the salt of the world. Listening to Chan talk about India cracked me up. <sighs> cracked me up. In China, to this day, there are still guys in jail for years, years, 10, 20, 25 years in prison because they shone the light. They dreamed the impossible. They declared the truth of God into a dying world. Like the disciples. They were all killed because of what they did and because of what they said. And I want to tell you, my friends, if you have friends that do not know Jesus, 
their first introduction to the reality of the kingdom is you. You. There is no professional Christian. Or if there is, we are all professional Christians. You. You are the first here. I love it when people bring their friends to church. It is absolutely amazing. But those people will stay and become followers and disciples of Jesus if you disciple them. If you live as if you see what is invisible. If you tear down the idols that cripple you and hold you back. If you are honest with a friend that's close to you and confess your sin so that you could walk free, so that the mission and the mandate of the Beatitudes literally consume us. It's a huge responsibility on us to pray. And I know it's tough. I mean, I know it's tough to focus on prayer. Let me come back to prayer. Imagination. The word imagination in, uh, in Hebrew, uh, just for Craig's sake, is I'm joking. It means dreams and visions. Okay? Dreams and visions. I do like that Phil gets a lot of pictures. And Warwick, when he comes to church, he gets, a, he gets pictures. Um, and others get pictures, pictures, pictures. Because if I ask you simply right now, hey, what did you guys do yesterday? Your brain has to go and bring an image, a picture from yesterday into your frontal cortex and tell you, oh, that's what we did yesterday. And that is what we call imagination. You have to access a picture of yesterday and bring it in here. You can try not do it. It's impossible. It's like me telling you guys right now, do not think of a pink cat. Don't do it, guys. Don't think of a pink cat. Don't do it. That's how we develop our prayer life. Prayer life. And finally, I'm not going to get to anything of this, but I'm going to read just my notes. Um, God, who in this room has never received a prophetic word of encouragement from God? Please, put up your hand quickly. You've never received a word of... Yes, from a person. You've never? Yes, but I mean from a person, from God through a person. No one's ever prophesied over you. You're not going to leave today until someone's prophesied over you. Oh, you have? Okay. <laughs> Those prophetic words, like Paul said to Timothy, are the, are the weapons of our war. They, he says, wage a fight, a good fight, with the, with the, the prophecy spoken over your life. So if, we could, if you could determine today, to in your private time, in your, in your, in your secret place, with Jesus, to write down, write down those words of prophecy that God has spoken over your life and pray them and sit because it takes time and imagine them. Imagine them. I cannot do anything without visualizing it first. I'm very stupid like that. That's why the first thing I do, Dave Glenn and I, when we plan or build anything, I'll sit down with a piece of paper and I draw the whole thing. Right? <coughs> take that same scheme and develop your prayer life like that. Say, Lord, what have you said over me? Wow, what does that look like? Wow, let me think about that. I'm your child, so I've got all authority in heaven and earth. You've said that in Matthew 28. You said to me, the nations is my inheritance. What does that even look like? Why am I so moved by India right now? Why do I want to go to China? Okay, the food is a big motivation, but the people, the promise that God said, I've given you the nations as your inheritance, which means my children will love the nations and their children will love the nations because God loves the nations and wants to give them to us. Why do you think I've moved to three different continents and, and I'm, only, I'm, I'm only a fresh young 50 too because of this thing inside me that was literally impossible. From where I come from, you, you, nobody would even look at me sideways. And it's not like I've... No, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But it was the furthest thing from possibility. Sitting on a farm in the middle of nothing, plowing fields and looking after cattle. It was impossible. But the seed of eternity is in the hearts of every man. And it's our responsibility to 
to, what's the word? Cultivate it. Cultivate it. See. And there's lots more, but I'm not going to do it. So fasting, denying ourselves the world's niceties simply to usher in kingdom necessities. I, 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 I think fasting is a good thing, if that's what you're asking. Do it. Fast is amazing. Treasures in heaven is something we feel is valuable. A treasure is something that we value, and everybody has different treasures. And that's why you know what true community is. True community share their treasures with each other. I thought that was pretty cool. What do you think, Linda? Okay. So if we have a... Yes, yeah, so thank you for saying that. Yeah. So like, like um, Catherine has, gets this, um, like, um, uh, um, uh, what's that thing called? Turkish delight. Okay? And she... First thing that Catherine always does, Julia will tell you, she hides her sweets. Okay? She hides them immediately because she knows if they're there, they'll be gone. It's Levi and me, it's just like seconds. And Julia as well. So she hides them, and it becomes like a little treasure to her that she has. And then what she does at night when we like sitting, reading, or watching a movie at 11 o'clock, she would say, who feels like Turkish delight? <laughs> Sometimes she said, she does that, and then she says, no, no, no I'm going to save it. <laughs> <laughs> but mostly she goes and she gets it, and she brings it, and she shares it. And it creates this, this, this intimate, strong relational reality because her treasure now becomes my treasure. It's a stupid example, but you get the point. Treasure. So we don't store up for ourselves treasures on earth by, by buying into massive corporate schemes. When among us, among us, this is the New Testament, Acts chapter 2 reality. There are those that are in need, but we are ooh, heavy invested. But there are those in need among us. We share our treasures. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And treasures have a lot to do with obedience as well. I don't have time to go there. So yet God's command is to treasure Him above all else. And everyone has a treasure. And they're connected to our will and therefore our, our, our dignity, which cannot be violated without doing damage. That's why good friends often share their treasures as an expression of their intimacy. And lastly, worry. Philippians 4 verse 6 and 7 says, don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. The opening verse makes it clear um, what we worry about in Matthew chapter 6. We worry about these things, okay? We worry about our lives, what we eat, what we drink, our sustenance, our bodies, what we look like, our clothes. That's what we worry about. So funny. This is, this is like first century Judaism. We are in 2019. It's exactly the same. In the human psyche, not much has changed. Regardless of thousands of cultural paradigms, we still worry about what we will eat, what we have enough, what we will drink, our sustenance. What do we look like? And the kingdom is immediate. And it's amazing that in the desert, God fed Israel and sustained them. The clothes never wore out for 40 years, although they were in unbelief. He always provided for them. Their sandals never wore out. Their clothes never wore out. Can you imagine that? And he gave them manna. How did he give them manna? Every day. You could not save manna for the next day. You couldn't gather enough for the next day and become dependent on yourself. You waited on God. And in Matthew 6, it says, Lord, give us today our daily bread. So this dependence on God is the antidote to worry. Where do you find that and flesh that out? In the secret place. High five, sister. The birds are busy, just as they should work hard, but they don't worry about the basics. Having our treasures in heaven frees us to live simple and present. That's what worry does. It removes you from the moment. And so you never taste the tiramisu. You never smell and inhale the coffee. You never see the bird. You never see it. Because your head's down. Because you're in tomorrow. <laughs> wow, that... <laughs> Sorry, guys. I wasn't on purpose. And in conclusion, the children in Scripture who are called greatest in the kingdom totally relies on the provision of their father. Hebrews 2 verse 
15. Our Father in heaven is trustworthy. He's faithful. He knows. Does that mean it's like Sarah, Sarah, what the heck? No. You're missing the point completely. But if we worry, if we engage in worry, it's like we want to take the control back. It's interesting to me, Levi texts me, he's like, he's, uh, like I've got an aisle seat because he's, he's in South Africa. He left two days ago and he was, uh, you know, and, he, and uh, he's like on the way to the airport, like, Dad, are these pilots like, like good? <laughs> I'm like, dude, you've flown around the world like 20 times. What are you having a crisis about it now? And I've, I've, you know that you have a 1 in a 11 million chance to die in an airplane crash. And you know you have a 1 in 2,500 chance to die in a car crash. But people walk into airplanes like nothing, sit down. But in the car, they still think they can take control of the wheel maybe if something happens. Worry does just that. It removes us from the moment where God wants us to live in. And the, the essence of, of one of the major power gifts that God has given the body of Christ, the prophetic, is to take what is there and bring it into here. Into where? Here. This moment. Here. Right now. If you're worried about tomorrow, you're not here. You cannot be here because you're worried about there. And that speaks of a compromised imagination. And so if your prayer life suffers and you feel like you're praying against that brass ceiling, as I've heard before, what are you worrying about? What have you not given to God? Could be your spouse, your child, your financial situation. These are all real. That's, that's, a favor, that's the thing I hear most from people. You could get to reality. Come on, come on, come on. Get to the real world. Yeah, we are living in the real world, absolutely. But with a kingdom agenda to bring that world into the moment. Go and read the Gospels. It's amazing. God bless you. Let's pray together.